Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on the show a wordsmith, a man who uses his lexicon to bring upon reality, a driven man who understands how to speak through colors, photography, and by his actions. Ladies and gentlemen, the best-selling, award-winning author and speaker, mentor to the entrepreneur, the creator of the four-step milk writing system, and the men's mental health advocate, the writer himself, the writing coach himself, Dr. Oliver T. Reed. <sighs> What's going on, bro? How are you? Doing good, man. Thank you for coming on today, and I hope you're ready to drop these gems. Man, I'm ready, man. Just feeling your energy before the show, man, and just what you do yourself, bro. I am so excited. And I'm Thank ready, you, man. man. I appreciate that. Are you ready for your first question and many more? Let's go. Let's okay. do it. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? Wow. I start with the bottom of that question. What defined me was the struggle in opposition growing up in a single parent family where my stepdad was abusive. I survived uh, 18 years of physical and verbal abuse. My dad rejected me. Um, at a early age, I've saw him six, seven times in my life. Uh, and uh, before he was murdered in 2010, I reconciled with him and I forgave him. I, I took back the power. I always believe one of the gems I want to drop first is that when you release the cycle of honor to those who have dishonored you, you break the cycle of that dishonor. Mm. So I say that when you release honor on something that has raped, abused you, held you captive, you break the cycle of that. And I remember 2010 forgave him, we reconciled, man. And I was glad I did that. And uh, the basic preface of that was, as I forgave him, I became a better man. So that man I met at 34 years old, um, who was a stranger that I saw five times in my life, but he always, he came when I graduated high school. He came when I graduated college. He came when I was a licensed minister, when I was a dean. He came at pivotal points in my life. I had never spent a, a birthday with him. And this is dope, I want to share this real quick. Our birthday was on the same day. Mm. I was born the same day as my father. We never shared a birthday, a holiday. But he was the man I met that inspired me to be the man I am now. Absolutely, it's so much to break down from there. I want to stay there for a moment. Talk to me about the moment you decided you were gonna reconcile and take that honor back from him. Yeah, I remember, man, crying. Um, I went back and forth, man, just in my mind, in my head, uh, from a standpoint of saying, hey, I, I, I don't want to, to, to reconcile. Because um, I had seen him been passing several times in my life. And uh, the way he came back into my life, man, was he reached out to my mother and said he wanted to speak to me, which I was, I was infuriated. I'm like, this joker, for lack of a better word, like, you know what? He's calling, he's calling my mom, he can't even come to me. I ain't got time for it. I was all in my feelings. I thought I had overcome it. You know, I progressed in my professional career. I thought I was over this whole thing, man. I found myself in the parking lot of McDonald's, basically crying like a baby, like the five-year-old that was waiting by the door, like the 12 or 13-year-old teen that was so angry inside. And I began to do that. And uh, uh, man, you know, wife was like, you need to talk to, he's your father no matter what. I'm, I'm going off on her, we, we, we beefing back and forth. And I'm like, no. He's a sperm donor. She says to me, no, he's still your father. You can go up and down, but he's still your father. And I was sitting there, man, before I was in grad school, in college, and um, I was sitting there and I said, man, 
it was a uh, Christian school we was at, and they said, hey, let's pray. And I feel they had to pray, and they prayed for me. You know, it was there, and I said, I started feeling something breaking. And during that break, man, I walked out with my phone, and I called my father. Um, and when I called my father, he answered, and he began to say he was about to apologize before he can get the sentence out. I took back that power. I said, I forgive you. I mean, flat out, I forgive you. And when I, when I said it, I meant it. And we started talking later on, we started to talk and interview, but it was at that moment where it wasn't planned. And this is to some man out who thinking your breakthrough, your biggest breakthrough comes impromptu. You know, your biggest breakthrough is not me planning and thinking about it. Cause the more I thought about it, it was going to put up barriers that would hinder me from, from propelling myself past this pain, past this uh, bondage I was in. So I just did it on the fly, called him up during the break. And uh, that's how we started. And we started talking, man, nine months straight. I got to talk to my father, man. And uh, not knowing that in 2010, you know, the 23rd, that he was going to be murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 great thing that you had the chance to spend those nine months, right? And he was able to get his affairs in order with his son. For me, I was also growing up in a... In a single parent home for a short time for my mother found someone else but I had to sit down with my father and interview him and ask him the tough questions did you get a chance to actually interview your dad to hear his story because being a man now you have different experiences you have a different level of comprehension about what the world has to offer for you so upon sitting with your dad did you ask him these tough questions did you get any information that you needed to make you say hey maybe I can understand his story a little bit yeah it was yes and no what was so powerful, the yes part was we started talking, I started asking questions, and I realized, man, that this very same thing he did to me, his father did to him at 11 years old. My dad walked in my um, in the room where my mother was having me in conception and said, this ain't my DAM baby, he's too light. Uh, even from the time of the birth process, he had rejected it. And so I started talking to him. He said, yes, I did it. And, you know, he, he was an alcoholic. He had a lot of things going on. He said, yes, I did it. And I did it because um, what my what was done to me. At 11 years old, my dad denounced me, moved. He never said I wasn't his. And so I started talking about that. So it was yes, but I didn't get the full closure. He was supposed to come, man. So he, he was supposed to come when on, I think it was November. He was supposed to come for Thanksgiving to kind of visit me. Um, because the alcohol status and sickness that he had, he wasn't able to come. And so he, when he didn't come, we were gonna meet, for, you know, come and really bond. And it never happened. So that that was never that closure. He was murdered. I never um, had a chance to, I didn't even want to, based on the situation, even go to the funeral. So I'm still peeling back layers, uh, layers and still dealing with that. And I have never overcome that. Um, I thought that, you know, because we wasn't together like that, man, that it was gonna be different if something happened like this. But it was almost like we were, de- it, it ripped me to shreds, man, from the standpoint, here I am having this potential to reconcile and basically uh, it was stripped away from me. So I had some closure, but still finding closure. And now I'm in the process, man, and I'm dropping this on your show. Nobody knows this. I'm in the process of uh, writing a movie about my life and turning that as a tribute to my father. But it's been 10 years of grief um, that I have still but yet I still haven't went to the place where he was murdered in Louisiana. Still haven't went there. I understand that, man, because sometimes where you don't take the time to 
reconcile with certain people who played such a pivotal point in your creation, you feel like you're missing pages in history now. Yes. Stuff that you're yes. supposed to fill the pages with about who you are, find out some intricate details. So I encourage everyone to always interview your parents, whether they or your guardians or the people that you feel around you that you need answers from, because it is good for them as much as it is good for you. And if you get that opportunity, you will feel rejuvenated. There was a point where you had to shed your skin in the dark. Every man has to go through that point where you have to listen to your own heartbeat and get back up. Would you say that was one of your lowest moments? Man, was my, that was one of my lowest points. I go back to, to, to the powerful part that my dad lived, check this out, brother. He lived 20 minutes from me. You know what? I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. He lived in Concord. Then mm. a point in time, he lived in Charlotte. I, I have brothers and sisters I never met before to this day. I, I, I don't know where they are. Um, he was a missing link from a standpoint. I was robbed from so many, many, many things. And I had to shed my skin in the dark because, because he wasn't there. He passed me on to a man that abused me. You know, and so that I had to deal with, I had to deal with physical abuse and forgiving that person, and that person ended up dying, and I didn't even get closure there. So I have a lot of, uh, you know, and have kids now, and have to become that man and be that father when I didn't have a representation. And so I wrote a tribute to him, and it was a powerful thing um, about shedding my skin in the dark. It was called X Man. And as a man, man, you might identify with this in a lot of brothers where I had really mentally from a standpoint, bro, I had divorced my my father. I had really said, hey, you know what? You my ex-man, not the ex-man that you see, you know, on the comic book, the hero, you, you, you're the ex in my life. You're, you're the place where the pain is. And one of the things, I, if I can share a little bit, it's called X-Man, I was like, hey, it's a shame the same blood froze from my heart in your veins. When I was young, I crawled to you, got older, called for you, but you were never there, man, always a here and everywhere, man. So I labeled you my X-Man. There's no pain like bleeding from the day-to-day -day incision of helpless rejection. Parked at life's intersection, parallel to nowhere, across the street from neglect. But yes, guess what? I give you some respect. Because I know that your old man put the X on you, man. But thanks to the son of man, I'm a new man, free man, lacking wanting nothing, man. Now I speak into the ears of my young man. The X marks the spot of God's eternal plan. So mm. that's how I got rid of that. And I wrote that prophetically before we reconciled. Hey, listen, that is a great way. That is a gem, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you have to use the arts to get that energy out of you so you can build and grow. I appreciate that, Jim. There's so much we can talk about in this diaspora, this whole cortex of fatherhood and what it has done to all men in some accord, right? Whether the absence of it or the presence of it or too much presence of it. Talk to me about the moment when you realized that you had to have balance between yourself to make sure that you don't even corporal punishment too hard, that you are there in a good way. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to kind of balance it. Now, let me go back, man, and I, and I, and I love, man, the show. I love, uh, you know, the fact of the authenticity, the authentic, you know, the authenticity of this. Well, I hear the babe in the background. I hear, you know, the next generation in the background. Everything I learn is prophetic. Every sound, every movement. Sometimes we're so busy, we're so focused, that a lot of times we don't realize that those are all a part of what makes us authentic. 
And I was sitting there, man, and how I deal with it, and I'm gonna drop this gem on you, bro, and do those who are gonna be listening, King. I was actually working, had just moved to Virginia from Charlotte, and I was rebuilding my life. And guess what I was working? I was working at a facility where I helped men, majority African-American men, come out of incarceration, right. violent offenders. So imagine the, the vortex I'm in now. I'm working to advocate to help people who have killed and murdered and sex offended and drug, sold drugs and did all these things. And I'm helping them regain their life, giving them a second chance. But on the other side, my father's now murdered by five teenagers. Mm. So now I'm in this complex where, hold on, you know, so I'm still having to do my job, yet grieve my father that wasn't there, that we just reconciled. So it was almost like, do I choose to break the cycle? Do I choose to perpetuate the cycle? Or do I choose to break the cycle? And what I had to do, man, is day by day, I would have to go into the jail, do assessments of these, cat, these cats, man, and just think about what they had done to my father. Not them in specific, but the situation, the system. Mm. And I will say this, man, on this show, my plight, even now, I have some unfinished business with even the people who have murdered my father. And I'm not after them in the sense of wanting to get revenge. I want to seek them out to bless them. In some kind of way, I want to share my love for my father, to share that he mattered. And, uh, and so I'm on a plight. I'm learning uh, as a counselor, mental health expert, and working through life that you have to either choose two roads. Right? Am I going to use this pain and turn it on this axis? Or am I going to invert this pain and turn it into a sword that kills me, that eats away at me? So I'm like, man, how can I bless these dudes? How can I um, be my father's voice? And so that's that's where I'm at and still seeking. And not only that, the other kids out there, the other men that had to go through what we went through, the other people who killed and now are being killed, right? I think we have an obligation. We, we, you know, too much is given. Parable says much is required, but I'll take it further. You can have what's given and you, you can be required, but if you don't implement what was given, your existence um, is never felt. And so that's all I want to do is impact. Absolutely. If you can give one suggestion for the man who says, Whose, whom father is still alive. If you can give a some advice to him who says, I'm good whether my father live or dies, I don't need to speak to him any, anymore. If you can give a positive affirmation why he should, what would you say? Because it's the same blood flowing in your veins. It's, it's the, we, we don't, and this is what I had to learn, we don't get to choose our parents. The, 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 there's a parable in in the Bible, our readers, but I love the scripture. It says, honor your father and your mother. A societal being in the Western world puts a heavy emphasis on honoring our mother, right? We, If you look at Mother's Day, you can't get into the restaurants. The, the stuff is bought off the shelves. You right. know, when you look at Father's Day, man, you got you can go in there late, you can stumble in there late, you know, it's just not an emphasis put on the king. It's not an emphasis put on the father in the role. Now, I, I've lived, I've traveled, I've gotten out, I went to Africa, South America, different places that I've experienced, and there's a different culture from the father. The father has an honor, and I like this, this biblical principle, it didn't say that the father had to be right. 
there's no stipulations on the honor. If he was providing for you, if he did this for you, it doesn't give you a characteristic that uh, a check sheet. And I think a lot of times the children, we're so wounded, we're like, well, he didn't do this, I only do it. But going back to that point, when I put the honor on my father, I broke the cycle of dishonor for me. Mm. And so I would say to that man saying, I don't need to be my father. You need, that's why you do need to see him. You need to be able to share with him. You need to be, y'all may not be buddy, buddy. It may not be a happy ending. And I'm a firm believer of that. And I'm a story. Me and my father never embraced after that. We never saw each other after that. I didn't go to his house. He was supposed to come here. He was murdered before that. But I can rest in my spirit because I released it off of me and I show honor. Man, can you imagine on the other side, bro, that may be watching this, that will hear this, if you don't forgive your father and something like that happened? Now you got to deal with, man, I could have called, bro. I could have said something. I could have answered that call. Because at the end of the day, man, I thought I was over. I'm like, man, I don't need this dude. I'm successful. I got my own kids. I'm da 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 Man, I cry like a baby, man. I cry like a baby in a McDonald's parking lot. Because I thought I was over it until I got confronted with it. And then when I was able to go past that, and again, I cried like a baby when he, when he was murdered. Because I'm like, man, why now, God? Why? We at a point where we're talking. Bro, my birthday is the same birthday as my dad. Absolutely. So every time I have a birthday party, or I have something, I think of my father. That's how close it was. Even though we never spent time, I walk like my father. I look like my father, right? And so that's what you gotta look at, man. Honor, in that sense, has nothing to do with just like you didn't choose him. You can't choose whether you're gonna honor him or not. You can, but at the end of the day, you put that honor on him, trust me, it will break the cycle of that dishonor for you. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate those kind words. Do you have a vision board? You know what? I don't. And I tell people all the time. Now, I'm going to say something that a lot of people like vision board. And I tell people this when I coach people on writing books. I don't just write a book. I don't coach people to write a book. And I'm sharing this with you on the show. I encourage people to be a book. That's the most thing. Like, me sharing today, I've got comfortable with sharing. That is about me, but because when I open up, I know that people will read my pages. They may not go buy my book, but they're gonna go to this dope show. They're gonna go to this five show, which is really instituted in knowledge. And you're doing something that man is epic. When you're speaking to the heart of men, that they might watch this, stumble upon this, and they might not buy my book, but they can hear my story. So I teach people to become a vision board, right? There's nothing with taking notes. I don't knock people for having a vision board, but I say, hey, if your vision never gets to you, it's almost like you being with your woman, you say, I got so much love for you, but you never can get the love that you have for her on this board into you. It has to be practical steps. You gotta be able to feel and touch it and make it tangible. And so I say, I am a vision board. So what I do is I, as you see me, I'm full of branding. I, I wear my things, why? Because this is who I am. I'm comfortable in my skin, you know? And I, I think that as your vision, look at this, write the vision. Yeah, get it, get it going, make it plain. But then it says to run with it. And I think so many people, when you get that vision board, it's almost like a trophy in your house. You, you got it on the board, but you're not running with it. But if you tie your vision along with what you're doing, what do I mean by that? Like if I say on my vision board, I'm gonna make 400K this year, I get a shirt that says, I'm gonna make 400K this year and I'm gonna wear it. So people say, what does that mean? Because it reminds me. It's not just sitting in the house. It's on what I'm doing. I'm grinding, right? I'm grinding. And I want you to see I'm grinding. I want you to ask me, what does this mean? 
everything that I do is purple for a reason, as a pin, as a circle. So my whole thing, my whole logo is about changing the world, right? It's not that it looks good. Oh, it's a dial. It's a time. If you look at it, it's a clock. It's on me. Who am I? My name. This is who I am. This is a part of me. This is my destiny. So it's all about becoming that board and becoming that book. So I don't knock you having a vision board as long as it's transferable. No, no. I think you upgraded the terms of vision board. A lot of people don't really use the board and the pictures as much. People put things in their cell phone. People hang up lists in their house. People do sticky notes. But you're saying be the board 24 hours a day and wear it on you so people can reflect what you're looking back on you so you can manifest it. That's dope, sir. That is another gem, Dr. Oliver. And I appreciate you dropping that today. But I ask you this. Give us an apex goal that you achieved off your vision board of yourself and one that you're currently chasing that is on you now. I think the biggest goal that I achieved myself when I did this this year, bro, it was like the end of the year. It was finding myself. Mm. Like I have, when you're creative, man, I'm just gonna create, I, I write books, I, I counsel, I speak. I was just trying to find myself and I was kept rebranding myself. I kept, you know, Hey, uh, you know, I'm the relationship architect. One minute, hey, I'm your solution coach. I'm trying to fit this whole apex of what everybody in this little box. I had to realize that I'm Oliver Reed. That's who I am. And though I do all these things, who am I really? What has been the consistency? Mm -hmm. And what was the consistency in my life was I was a writer. From writing hip hop to writing poetry to winning contests when I was a little kid to writing books. I was like, I'm making this harder than what it needs to be. What have I always done? I'm a writing coach. And so the biggest goal that I achieved this year, bro, is I didn't have to do it all. I just had to be me. And when you find yourself, other people find you. I've made more money and more influence, even this show, rocking with a kid from, you know, from from from, from the States in Dubai, who wouldn't who would have never probably got my other platform but because i'm comfortable now with what i'm doing it attracts so my first quarter has been i ain't even got the whole funnel ready i only got the stuff ready and opportunities coming because guess what i discovered who i was i'm 40 some years old for the first time I'm like ah this is me i don't have to be anything else mm -hmm. do i speak on relationships do i counsel do i do it? yeah i still do all those things but i'm the writing coach i help people write books fast i help people turn their story into xyz Man, that is attractive. So the goal that I'm chasing now is helping other people. I want to help a hundred other entrepreneurs and speakers and coaches say, listen, be you. Turn your story into a book, which is you, and rock your book, rock your writing, and let that be the number one lead generator in their business. We That's are the sum of our experiences. We are the sum of our experiences. And what you're talking about is just coming into fruition of all the heartbreak and the love and the joy you received and finally figuring it out that you had to go through all these things to get to this point. The only sad thing is when those things are cut short by other actions of our free will of murder or discourse or things of that nature that throw you off your path. But some of us actually get to fully cocoon and I agree with you. It wasn't until this year that I found my true purpose, all the things I've been through, all the careers I prolonged and I got right here to sit in front of you to understand that all the things I've been doing all my life was talking about manhood. Since a boy, I made different decisions in my impoverished neighborhood that others didn't make because I thought different. I felt different about the outcome of things. 
And that was just me trying to get to manhood because I didn't have one, right? I didn't have a, a man around me, so I, that's what I reached for mostly. So that that is something that is profound, and I'm loving this interview right now. Tell me to keep your mind focused on all these things and your endeavors to be Mr. Dr. Oliver T. Reed to be that person. What type of affirmations are you telling yourself every day? Man, I always tell myself, man, nothing wasted, no thing wasted. That, when I realized that the, the time that we have spent, and I just heard you say, and I can agree, trying to discover there was still lessons, there was still seeds, there was still um, our success. I always say failure is our success inverted, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so low places are really high places inverted. Every low place takes you to a high place. And guess what this part is? Every, look at this, the pinnacle of your last level, bro, is still the basement of your new one. Mm-hmm. So I always say, hey man, I'm doing some things, but I'm still at the basement of, it don't mean jack to my new level. Mm-hmm. I also say to every man, I wrote a book called Manhandle, Hidden Cold Words to Impact Men and the People That Love Them. I understand that affirmations from men, men get manhandled all the time through words. And a lot of times women don't understand it. You may have that guy that's 40 years old, still dealing with five-year-old problems where his mother told him to shut up and lock him in the closet or his dad beat him down. And so you just with him chilling on the couch and you don't understand why you keep telling him to shut up and he shuts down. Because he was told to not do whatever. Our words shape our communication. So I always say, hey, I got to be that man in the middle. Like coming today, I'm excited, I'm hyped because this is my language, right? I'm in the middle, I'm learning from you. I'm in the middle, but I'm also giving out. So men have to be in the middle. And once you start just being at the head or at the bottom, you mess the whole thing of y'all's playing up. When you start saying, yo, I'm at the top only, I'm grinding, or I'm down here and this is where I'm gonna be. You gotta be in the middle, which means you gotta be reaching up and giving back. That's the affirmations always say. That's great affirmations, man. You got my mind spinning with so many things, but I want to continue this interview. I get to the stuff, the audibles I have in my mind a little bit later on, because I appreciate this conversation. I resonate with you on so many levels when it comes to being in the dark with a flashlight. And that is the basis of this show, this how-to movement that we're giving off here for men, for men experiences for you to look at. Tell me, when did you start goal setting? How early did you start goal setting? With intent. Mm-hmm. I think it when I really started, it, I remember getting, man, um, beat down. I was abused by my stepfather, man, and my mother left and still continued to go back. Still some things that I'm, I'm in therapy about because um, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, love my mom. She was so many things, but why did you go back? You know, why did you go back and subject me to that? So as I got bigger, it was different, but my stepfather was 6'4", 244 pounds. He'd come home and just go ham just because I looked like my father. I wasn't his, right? And so from that standpoint, I was like, oh, what's going on? And we came back, I remember after 11 years old, man, being beat, left, came back. The beating stopped because I hit puberty. I started to beef up, so it wasn't that. But it changed to the verbal abuse. That's why I'm able to talk about those things. Life is a book. While I talk about everything I talk about are those flashlight moments. There are those places when I've been there. And I remember him saying to me, man, you slouchy. You're going to be an alcoholic like your father. You ain't going to be nothing. And I remember... I thought differently. I was raised in the hood in Charlotte, I thought differently. And I said to myself, yo, I'm going to prove him wrong. So I went to high school, got my degree. Guess what? I mailed him a copy. Matter of fact, he had to come to the graduation. When I went to college, everything I did was whatever. And then the other part was my father. I was determined, man, I'm not going to be like this dude. 
and I started purposely saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to do X, way, X, Y, and Z. That's when I started to intently say, I'm going to finish and I'm going to pursue. But I was always wired differently from a standpoint of my goals, my drives. Um, I, my, my first goal was uh, at, at 14, 13, me and my boys from the, from the hood, we were going to the studio. We were trying to make a, 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 a demo tape. Expression. Right. We were expressing there. Like most people were selling dope. They were doing them, but we were like still fly. I'm working at Bojangles Fast Food. My partner working somewhere else. We're taking out a little money. And we're going to the studio. We, just, we was, we, our goal was to be on Yo MTV Raps, you know? But it never, I didn't know I was a writer. I was just writing rhymes. I didn't know that. Look at how it matured. And now later on, 40 books later and helping, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people write that book. It was just rhymes. I fell in love with this thing called writing and I started to go setting from there. You had to you had to go through all those things. And I'm a firm believer in what you're saying because when I look at the totality of my life, I had a music career as well the last 15 years. But I kept hitting a wall, a glass ceiling that I couldn't figure mm. out why I couldn't take the next step. And then the next step wasn't supposed to be in the music. Maybe later on, but not right now. Right now it's supposed to be this. I was supposed to be doing this. And that's when you had to shed your skin. Everybody had to shed another form of skin during the pandemic. In fact, yeah. I was speaking with a young lady on Clubhouse. I will give Clubhouse this credit 1000%. She spoke of abuse and she was in an abusive relationship and she said she did research. Now, I'm about to give what she said, but I have not fully confirmed it, but I believe her. She said a woman goes back an average of 10 times before they decide to do anything about it. And sometimes mm -hmm. the six or seven times is too late or the 10th time that's when they're ready for help. I currently am close to a situation like that in my family, right? And it's very hard. When can a man step in? This is an audible question, but when should a man step in? Another man who's watching this man do these things, the only reason he's doing it because the, the system, the, the justice process system takes a long time to accommodate. And then it was a problem when people don't get help. When men don't get held accountable, they tend to go a little bit further than they would if there was other men holding them accountable. Yeah. So when do we as men step in fearing the fact that the person we step in for will lick the wounds of the person that you stepped into help? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been in that situation. You have to get in your mind when you feel it here, when it's in your gut. You know, one thing I learned with your gut, when that thing won't leave you alone, it could be that still small voice, like in the grocery store, man, you really need to get this guy some money. You're like, man, nah, you probably gonna just go buy drugs or something with it anyway. What I've learned is it's not your responsibility about the outcome. Your responsibility is to be accountable. It is my problem. When I see it, Brian, why you all the must up? It is my problem because you are my concern. And I think we don't learn a lot of times that our job is to plant a seed, not to go out there and make it a harvest and take on accountability. It's not like, you know what, man, I'm not going, I'm not walking through your 40 steps with you. Your 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 job may just be to bring awareness that, bro, I see what's going on. I understand, I listen to him. And I was talking to somebody the other day, like if I know that this guy is into something and as long as it's healthy, I'm not talking about toxic, but say the guy likes football, man, sit down with him, watch the game. Don't just come and tell me about my issue right off. Build a level of trust. Oh, yo, man, let's go grab something to eat, man. Do that one or two times. But don't always have to come in and try to fix it. I saw this, bro. Sometimes when I've seen men walls come down when they realize, man, I'm just like you. I'm opening up my wounds too, bro. 
I ain't coming at you this way, but I'm telling you this is how I should do it. Here's another alternative. And I think that sincerity is what's key. You know how we are, a man can feel you when you're sincere, and they can feel you when you're just trying to come in and just whatever. But at the end of the day, when you come in, it's really understanding what I'm what I'm called to do in that situation. I may just be your conscious. I may be something that comes to just make you aware. And I don't own it because it is twisted. A lot of times in a relationship, both of them can turn on you inside of that situation. But it's also being able to find that time, be very strategic in dropping wisdom. A lot of times when I'm dealing with young cats in particular, I have to be around them and a lot of times teach them and impart into them without them knowing that that's what I'm trying to do. Because if they know what I'm trying to do, the walls come up. You know, uh, he, but when I was just like, hey man, this dude is genuine. He's spending time, he's really concerned about me. Yo, we went, we watched the game, we went and got some wings. We Now when I hit you on the fourth time, I'm like, bro, I've been watching some stuff, man. You're gonna, like, you're gonna be more prone to be like, all right, man, what, you know. Right. I, I, I feel you, because you didn't just come from that. That is definitely a unique approach I've never heard. Usually guys are ready to step in physically instead of stepping strategically and sit around it and try to get to know that other person's side of the story and, and even maybe not fair or not take into accountability of that you being strategic i that is something i'm going to add to my tool belt and that's something yeah that's one time i saw a, a a guy and it actually happened where he was assaulting the female and i was like man you know what this ain't right you know i just kind of came like man i didn't come like you know defensive swinging and it's literally happened. I'm like, man, you know, this ain't right. Man. We, we can't do this here, bro. He like, you know, he was still living at the time. We can't do this here, bro. I was like, man, the cops gonna come. Because at the end of the day, the whole thing is a system. It is that we don't have enough time on the podcast to talk about the psychological impact mm. of what's really going on. Absolutely. Uh, because of the systems that is in place from the 1970s and beyond, from slavery that says, hey, I'm only going to help you. This system is established to help you if you're dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. We don't even address that whole thing. We got to be dysfunctional for you to get a check. We got to be dysfunctional for you to feel like a man because you were from a breeding ground that said basically you were to breed and not be a father, not be affectionate, not be what? You're talking about 400 years. And so you're dealing with a 400 years pandemic that's there's been a virus. Because guess what? I saw the slave master beat me. I saw the slave master beat you. You came but beat me. You wasn't even used to having a relationship. You was a breeder. And that's another whole thing. Oh, and, and now let's look at what slavery is. Slavery is that check. Slavery is that stimulus. Slavery is that child support. Slavery is, you know what? Let y'all destroy each other and don't value her because you're so low, right? So any man that is doing it anyway is not valuing himself and he's still in some type of slavery show me a man who would do that that doesn't have some form of slavery in his mind absolutely i'm sure there's many uh layers to break down in that and hopefully we will touch on it throughout the rest of this podcast here back and forth about that but uh for those who are listening if you wish to take a physical approach to step in think about what dr oliver just said about becoming the spook behind the door first getting sitting there and understanding the enemy right so to speak and 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 then 
gaining his trust to get his walls to come down so you can speak to him on a level where he can actually listen and retain and he may make the change and it might be it may, may not be too late they might be within in that first 10 steps of the woman going back and they might be able to get it right because marriage is for life is a long thing and a lot of people hold on and do a lot of things to make things better or relationships and people get better some people get worse but sometimes if we approach it in a humble way like dr oliver said we can really upgrade the person instead of them continue to spiral out of control yeah i would say this man right here one of the things i'm learning it's not that easy to not think from the brain of sensationalism sensationalism man you feel and you don't think you got to make it home that day too bro if you run in the store and you see a man beating a, beating a woman we already know it's morally wrong you want to intervene by instinct but what's the intervening meaning is intervening calling the cops is intervening trying to talk the guy down is intervening running over there and fighting and then now you end up killing him or he end up hurting you vice versa then both of y'all go to jail because when the cops roll up it's a fight you both fighting on private property so at the end of the day you've done a good deed a good action and then at the end of the day i've seen men do that and find out the girl goes right back because she's you know to that whole situation i've actually worked with it in a professional realm where i never forget working professionally helping individuals who've uh face homelessness as a social worker. I remember we would help these girls, man. We would get them apartments. We would get them on their feet. Next thing you know, man, the dude's over there beating her again. We take it, we call the cops, we get everybody going on. Dude's over there beating her again. Because if you never fix the mental stimulus, if you never fix the mental complex, um, and so that's like, hey, there is some times where you may have to jump in. I've seen it happen, but think about how can you get home that day? Do you need to get back to your family? And you get back into your life. Absolutely. I appreciate that 1000%. Along the way of your journey, writing, rapping, hanging out, dealing with your father issues, being a man who, who is a man's man, who's a leader in your community, maturing, getting to where you are right now, what did you sacrifice? Man, I had to sacrifice a lot, man. If I talk about it too much, man, I'd probably be here crying. Literally, I had, I've sacrificed a lot by having to choose what's best mm. and uh even from family dynamics even having to say i'll sit on my hands for the greater good um has been one of the things that has had me relive some things that i went through on the other side i've had to you know be at a place to watch my kids grow up and fight from a mental place. And as I was saying, not from a place of uh, physical, but having to fight from here so that my son can grow up better, to sacrifice my daughter can grow up better. And at the end of the day, take the blows here because now I'm living this on the other side. Where I faced it this way, now trying to be here, but systems prohibiting and then feeling like helpless. Cause I know those brothers sometimes feel helpless. You like you angry because that's one of the things we express. We know how to express anger, which is a, a plethora. I was on a call with some gentlemen the other day. They were like, "Man, do you know it's like 300? I think 600 different emotions." But men, especially black men, African American men, only stay in four. You know, we angry, we happy, we we don't think about melancholy. We don't we don't know how to talk about we feeling you know agile. You know, we just focus. Oh, I'm angry, or you know, I'm happy. Or, you know, we know how to talk about, oh, this feels good. Oh, she fine. We know about attraction 
and the feelings that we feel there. But maybe people, man, you know, and I realized that that's that's how I've been able to sacrifice. It has been a lot. A lot of that was time, something that I never give back. Uh, but I had to choose something, man, that blessed me as we was on the show. I heard your baby's voice. They're always watching, right? And what, I'm, what I've sacrificed, bro, was time I can't get back. Time is the most precious commodity that you can ever give to someone. But I said, hey, my kids are worth the time away. But they're watching how I respond, what I do, how I respond to their mom, how I respond to failure, how I respond to when they go ham, how do I respond? And so that's the biggest thing I learned, man. I've sacrificed that. I've sacrificed a, a lot. Um, and believing that, this is a powerful thing, believing that what you sow, you'll reap. That's another whole thing. When you're sowing, though, it may take you years for you to see that fruit. But I'm believing, man, the sacrifices that I made and I'll see the fruit and I'll see it in my son. I'll see it in my daughter. Because one thing they would never be able to say is that their father was never there. Dad may not be perfect, but dad was there. You have to unlearn and relearn so much, especially all the fruits and seeds that were given to you that are sprouting up that you think is right. And you come to find out that no, we might have had it a little bit wrong in this household or not might necessarily wrong. It was a little bit augmented. It was a little bit, the whispers changed as it went to the next person's ear and it got a little trouble. But now we need to fix it. And the, and the opportunity, the first opportunity is recognizing it needs to be fixed and doing the work to do so. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you as a man, just to making that accountability and integrity and respect for yourself, because that's huge. But I ask you this, Dr. Oliver T, you're gonna start having a little bit more fun around here. I know we've been real deep in the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, but we hope you got the sources and gems how to augment yourself out of these situations. But what have you procrastinated on and why? Man, so much, like, um... I'll say it, it took me, I'll just say book writing first. It took me 10 years to write my first book. <laughs> and that's why I'm becoming what I wish I would have had when I started writing my book. Uh, you know, I was stuck in, in the South, we say fitness. I was stuck in that nation of fitness, which I'm a fitness write my book, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and I never did it. You know, I had all those things. I procrastinated on that. I procrastinate with the healing process, bro. Mm -hmm. I procrastinate with dealing with issues you know I, you know we ca i carry issues around sometimes man because of the way i process people will never know you know i'm the, you know i'm jovial I'm doing this at the end of the day they never know because that's that's the hologram you know that's the thing we throw up we created well man i'm gonna come out with this new soundtrack i'm gonna throw i throw myself in the work and i really had i procrastinated with what i'm what i what i'm openly saying now is my healing process with therapy I had been through layers of abuse, bro. Layers of certain things and hurting other people in the process. You know, I, I'm not just the, the victim, you know, I hurt people because I was hurt. And for me to kind of say now, I'm going to, being a mental health counselor, being a leader in the community saying, hey, I gotta go talk to somebody. We talk about five years old. Taking your power back. That's it. I procrastinate too long for our healing. You know, I didn't make myself a client. I was so busy seeing clients, but I ain't saying, oh, you need to take yourself, you need self-care. And not just like going into the spa and getting your back. You need to go talk to somebody. 
You need to take, you need to really unpack all this stuff. So I wasn't really good to myself. And so I think uh, learning that man now, I procrastinate for you. Absolutely. Uh, on, on those things. Absolutely. I appreciate that 1000%. How important is it to leave where you're from to develop yourself to where you're going? Man, that's monumental. Um, and it's not just the leaving of the physical. Physical, you can move. I realize I moved, man. I moved from North Carolina 11, 12, maybe almost 13 years ago. I'm just mentally moving, right? I moved locations, things popped off in the business realm, a great opportunity. Stuff started happening, but what needed the internal stuff was just starting to click. Because now I'm thinking, ah, oh, I gotta break those mindsets. I thought I had broken those mindsets, but really I didn't. I just buried them. So now I had to really say, oh man, I gotta definitely resurrect this stuff to kill it. Like, this is a gem, I hope you get that. Sometimes you gotta resurrect stuff to kill it. You think it's dead, but it ain't dead. It's like that Freddy Krueger movie, it ain't dead. Right, you think you killed it with the hacksaw, all you did was bury it. Sometimes you gotta like, no, it's there. And then you gotta bring it out. And then you gotta expose it. Then you gotta make sure it never comes back. You know what I noticed? A lot of people see the monster coming, they close their eyes and they pray. They hope it yes. That's something we gotta stop doing. It's reflective in our music. It's reflective in our entertainment. We close our eyes and we have so much escapism now. But COVID made everybody sit there and open their eyes and look at their demons. You could not escape them. Some people made it mentally, some people didn't. And I'm not saying that you're weaker or stronger, but that it's just the times we are in. And I think we can all build ourselves up to overcome anything together. You don't have to do it alone. That's the biggest thing people have to understand. You have to allow people that's there to help you to help. Yeah. And you, but it's hard to decipher who's there to help you or who's there to get one up on you to talk about you, right? So you have to figure those things out, but allow help to come in is the first, probably the first one of the first steps you can do to get you out of that dark place. Because you said Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street, the only person who could help was one person throughout the whole movie could help <laughs> these kids. But we know we're not gonna get into that. That's a whole nother talk. <laughs> oh. Especially who the heroes were in the movies back then. Right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> who died in the movie first? You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't look like me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, um, I want to ask you a question. This is this question is very intrusive. Now, yeah. I usually don't ask this. Well, I have asked this question twelve times now. You'll be the. I mean, eleven times. You'll be the twelfth person. I'm ask you whether I should keep the question. You can tell me if it's too intrusive. You don't have to answer it if you do not want to. But I, I want to hear what you have to say if you do feel like answering it. So you can tell me if it's good. Keep or not, keep or let it go, and you can answer if you choose. Are you ready for the question? Hey, I'm hitting that man. <laughs> I always like to build it up. It's it, it, it it's okay. It, it is intrusive to me, but we'll see how you answer. Yeah. What was abusive to you that you thought was love? How did you recognize it? How long did it take for you to accept it? What was abusive to you? that you thought was love, how did you recognize it? How long did it take for you to accept it? Wow. 
I hit on it, but it's really deep. Um, the fact I knew that I was being abused by my father, my stepfather, but I realized that the deeper level of abuse was the fact that my mom, going back to the kind of the question that you said earlier, mm-hmm. enabled it. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that 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 I found myself angry and I didn't know what it was about because of all the stuff that she was doing well, spiritual, kept the family together. I overlooked the fact that I shouldn't be five and getting be beaten like my grown man, you know, hanging by my feet, blood coming down, not to be gory. No. Um, and from that standpoint to say, you in the other room and do nothing. And then it happens again. So I looked at the abuse and say, oh, I knew that that abuse myself. But the other part was when we go the other way and we see somebody being abused, this may be good for somebody. You're, you're just as accountable as that person abusing. Because you, you could have said, you know, let me let this Oliver go live with a loved one or whatever it was. So that was something, man, it took me, even now I want the process, though. This is raw emotion to say, that wasn't right. I got to confront that. So I was like, in one level of it, oh, him. But then I'm like, for my mom, you shielded me. Why did you allow me to do that? And so that's when I started to accept it. The more you get healed, going back, the more you start to come out and start to heal in one area, your eyes begin to open up in another area. And so now like, hey, it took me 40 plus years to realize, hold on, that wasn't right. And then why didn't I get help? Why didn't you get me help? You know, things that I'm dealing with at 45, I could have probably dealt with those earlier. We know the cycle. We know how historically and culturally things go. But that's one of the areas, man, was the cycle of that abuse. Because out of that came out, so many different things came out of that. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing with that us today. And, and I hope whoever's listening may be going through these things. Yes, you need to evaluate the situation and, and you know, deal with it and run at it head on. And you said, dig it up. Don't bury it because it's always going to be there poking at you. Yeah. You rather resurrect it. This is a powerful thing I'm learning. You rather resurrect it than he resurrect on his own. Absolutely. A man said something that was powerful. Like, I'd rather tell on myself, tell my story, than you get up and tell my story. Right? Because I live my story. And I think that that's a powerful part, but I think you should keep that question, man. That's a great question. Thank you. And Audible, I like to call the Audible right here. You just knocked my memory right here. I have to stop the show and, and say something to you real quick. The man who outs himself is more accepted than a man who gets outed. And mm. what I mean by that is when some, when a man reveals who he is and he stands by it, people just accept it. Say, oh, that's him. When someone else tells his story, they go, ooh, did you hear about such and such? Yes. Did you hear about that? I can't believe that was him. Yep. So I just want to give people some advice. Now, you don't want to out everything about yourself now. <laughs> we all done some really, really great and bad things. And sometimes you don't need to tell either one. You right. don't need to fame from either one. You just need to continue to live your life. Dr. Oliver, I want to talk to you about this conversation now. This question I love asking all the men who come on the show. Yep. And I love to hear their answer because I am really trying to be an advocate for change in this department. <laughs> Are you ready for this question, sir? Yeah. Are you sure? 
I'm here now. <laughs> Did you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? Man, that's another whole story. I, my sex education came from the hood. My first one came from, you know, I lived in a, a Section 8 project in Charlotte. I mean, one of the worst places at that time. Um, even in recent times, this particular place had two cops that were murdered that hit national news, mm. right? So it's that type of environment where I used to live. And I remember, man, going outside of my apartment as a young kid and, you know, people out drinking, being on the stoop, oh, hey, are you had sex yet? <laughs> you need to get you some. You know, that that was, I mean, I'm like, what you, what? I'm, I was 11, what are you talking about? I'm 10, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then they pulled to the side, they start, we didn't have internet, thank the Lord. You know, we, we didn't have all of that stuff, but we had magazines. And so you had all those different things that opened you up to a whole lot of world because when you're living in a house, you might deal with just the people in that house. But when you're in an apartment complex, next door, you got four units. Yeah. Every, every block, that's four units with four families, with four dysfunctions. You had all of that. So I, I learned a lot of that stuff just from hearsay. This older man telling me, asking me questions or telling me what they thought sex was. Why do you think we run from the topic of really educating ourselves on something? To me, this is the totality for me. For me, I believe now the government gets a lot of money off of our sexual mistakes. When it comes mm -hmm. to child support and child abuse and families breaking down because it all comes back to the moment you decided to show one of the highest forms of expression in an undereducated form. Sometimes we are educated, but some of us go get real primal and enjoy yeah. the actual act of it, which is great. Sex is great. I always say sex is great, but I think if we, if we talked about it more, it would put more walls up for you to make better decisions. And on the other end, we'll, we'll see less of the outcomes we're seeing for the man. I'm not I'm now speaking for the woman. There's a lot going on in womanhood. I wouldn't dare speak about what a woman goes through because I'm not one. But what I see is a lot of brothers in child support situations, and some of them deserve it, but some of them don't. I see a lot of brothers losing their passports, their driver's license, not being able to get a job, secure information, getting more money taken out than they would actually have to pay for an actual child. And all that goes back to the moment that you left the condom there or you decided to go in or you saw the condom breaking, you decided to continue. Like these things that we talked to each other and created defenses, do you think we can make some lower those numbers that we actually started giving the real instead of the birds and the bees, instead of, hey man, you jumped off the porch yet? Hey man, why you ain't go get some down the street? Hey man, the girl down in apartment 15B, she giving up to everybody, go get your first little piece. Like. All of that that is in there, if we change that narrative and started upgrading the accountability, do you think we can kind of get people's lives back in order to take their power back? I think it would definitely be a, a great first step. I think um, the media now changed the game. It's pushed the bar. Um, our music, you know, has changed over the whole. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you heard that, you know, I'm sure you had that Rabbi Common when he broke it down. Uh, he had a rap talking about hip hop and how it went through his whole different phases. And now you can't get a line for mainstream that's not sexual. Um, and, you know, back in the day, it was all about battling, you know, uh, and it, it started to change. But I think, but it, but the conversation, if our communities, one of the things that I was talking to a young man about is that the, even in the hood, there were still families that are uh, marriages or different things that had positive lights to them. But they were in our community, but they didn't come to our house. It's a different. 
So is everybody kind of like we look, we see that we know that he beating her. We turn, we we know that you know they having sex and this person's out there wilding. We just turn. We we don't go and you know and talk and sit down and talk about it. The other part of it is is that you know you said something that's real powerful, man. And, and another, this is a heavy thing on my heart about you know I want to eventually start an advocacy group for men who got married. You have people who didn't understand sex and they got married. You have sex in marriage and with a lot. You had this kid, now y'all don't work out. Now you got child support issues going on. And now because we didn't work out, I don't want that hundred dollars that you can afford, that you have, and that's all. Uh-uh, I'm taking you to child support. Or the man slip up, or the woman slip up. It's both ways, but now you got this child support issue where now we, we had a child in a lot. Right, we did things the right way. You got that done. That we, I did. I talked to a lot of brothers, man. I did it the right way. And yep, we didn't work out in our relationship, but now the kid is the token. And now, okay, we got the child support issue. Going. So I do think the education will help. Um, but I think it's, it, the next step is really working to change the laws um, and certain things because it affects the community. Um, and I think that that's the biggest thing. So you have a different phase, you have a conversation, but you also have legislation as well. Mindset and also therapy. I think friend to the show, Cam West, spoke about young men. Uh, I think he's in his 20s. Mm-hmm. He spoke about the first the first step for sexual education for him and his household. He said his parents did a great job. He said the first step with him was making sure that he respected women at a high regard. Yes. Outside of the sexual realm, like he respects women enough and then it turns into respecting himself about the type of caliber or character of women that he chose to choose to engage with, right? And I think that's the first step for anyone listening. Respect for women is the number one, but it's hard to garnish that if you live in a impoverished neighborhood and no one exemplifies that. So it is a uphill battle in a lot of regards and a lot of sense. But also, friend to the show, Nas Bay said, if you don't have a mentor around you, find a book to be your mentor. And yes. that will channel the energy to you to make sure that you find your road to what you're looking for. Even if you don't know what you're looking for, you're hitting it right here, folks. Go find a book to be your mentor. If you don't have someone around you, have someone in your area, go find a book. For right now, in the current state we live in, books are easy to find. Yes. I won't speak of that in the future, but if you can get a book in your hand and feel the texture of your mentor and read about it, then you can definitely become what you take in. Absolutely. Should there be a basic training program amongst men? A level of education given, skill traits given out to the community, a impoverished community, where we teach financial literacy, communication, how to change a tire, how to change a tie, gardening, general wealth building, stocks and real estate, and speaking to the elderly with intent. Now, I preface all that by saying, if you and I lived in the same neighborhood, whether we lived in a impoverished neighborhood or not, you and I would then take the time to have camaraderie as neighbors, as men, to say, hey, you know about writing. Let's say I know about stocks. Let's make this a fun topic in the neighborhood for our kids. I know about chess. Let me teach all the kids chess for fun. And now we're teaching them chess and we take Monopoly money. And now they have Monopoly money. They can purchase stuff from each house in the neighborhood. Now they're learning financial literacy. If we started implementing these fun games, 
where real life will come to play, right? If we're giving these kids a certain type of monopoly money, somebody's going to try to steal it from them. So that they're going to realize all of these things inside the neighborhood that, hey, real life, this is what happens in real life. Like the people are going to try to take from me. I need to have financial literacy. I need to protect what I have. Do you ever think our neighborhoods could ever do something like that where we have a level of communication where we actually come out polished, ready for the world and not just ready for it? 12th grade system or not just ready for the church and the bible not just ready to what the rules are at the boys and girls club but actually ready for life yeah i think that that's absolutely and it's a powerful concept i love it and it already happened it happened in oklahoma hmm. it happened let's go back it happened in timbuktu it happened in philadelphia it happened in philadelphia it happened in africa mm -hmm. it happened or, or or the name that was given it happened in um, it, it happened I like to call it, so it's a tribe. It's really, we, we use it loosely like having a tribe, but the tribe, you had a right to passage. So you couldn't just get up and say that I'm a man on my own. You had to have other men that say you are a man because you have done a system of things. And you were ready to get married. The real original Hebrews, that's another whole thing, but from the standpoint of saying, hey, listen, I know you want, let's look at marriage. I know you want to get married, but you have to prearrange, we prearrange it because we have to see the value system. Then we have to be able to say, hey, you're at a level financially, mentally, capacity. So you have to be able to build this house, for example, equivalent or equal to your father's house. If you can't do that, then you're not ready to get married. Like right now, we don't put things, just like you say with children, we don't give them, you know, I was watching something that was fascinating some years ago, right? It was a, a village, I think it was in Asia, and it was talking about martial arts. But what they would do is that every day they would take these kids and they would put them in a, they would dig a small hole and they have the kids standing in. Little by little over the years, the hole got deeper and deeper and deeper each time and they would tell them to jump out of the hole to where this was like six feet, seven feet, eight feet, 10 feet they were constantly jumping out of the hole because it wasn't different than the inch. Psychologically, they didn't see it any different than jumping out of the first hole. And that's how they were training them to be warriors. They were training them to be martial artists. And I thought about that same thing. What if we did the monopoly money? What if we start telling you as a young kid to own your business? Don't wait till you're 50 years old. I, I try to tell people all the time, my kids and other kids in the neighborhood, write a book why because that book produces residual that book if you go to entrepreneurial magazine is the number one lead generator in the world is a book right so people don't understand it's more than you just writing a book because i want to tell my story when i die right now i have 40 to 50 products that my kids i can leave to my estate that makes residual on amazon that makes residual on whatever Right? The most repurposed book in the Bible, or I mean, book in the world is the Bible. It's been repurposed, rebranded millions of times. Right? So, going back to what you said, it has been done before and after. It has been done that rites of passage is what you're talking about. Let's get you thinking on so many different levels. Um, it can be done, but anywhere it has been done, there has been the counterfeit. And that's not an excuse to say not do it again, but Anywhere that's being done, what you're talking about being done, then there is opposition that comes alongside it because you're changing the culture, you're changing the mentality.
Absolutely. It, it, there's two things I want to say to that. Friends of the show, John Hewlin, another guy I interviewed, spoke about rites of passage. He said in the Jewish community have bar mitzvahs. He said, we need to bring back our rites of passage. This man is a Caucasian brother, but who's talking about bringing about rites of passage for all our generations, all our cultures. And what you said about people coming for what we have, the reason we have that issue is because we need to follow the money. Whenever the our culture spends money certain places and it diminishes the amount the, it diminishes their opportunities to save theirs but now they have to pay for things and keep their yes. their own situation balanced but if we're not the driving force our dollar circulate now this is an audible ladies and gentlemen here we go burr, 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 burr. Audible. <laughs> back in harlem before we were integrated we had our own crime we had our own stores we had our own stuff even our crime was money circulated within our community before drugs, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking, yep. I'm talking about the lotto system. I'm talking about the loan shark system. I'm talking about having your own business. I'm talking about baking stuff for your neighbors. I'm talking about doing hair. I'm talking about just doing all these, the dollars circulated in our community. Now our dollar doesn't circulate at all for maybe hours at a time, less than a day, maybe eight hours. I think it is that it circulates in our own community before it leaves out to someone else's community, we have to grow into a place in the diaspora where we can keep there. And the way we were infiltrated, and let's, let's go to Tulsa. Everybody knows Tulsa. They say great kingdoms only operate from the, only fall from the inside out. I will tell this story that I didn't haven't told on this show yet. And I cannot remember where I was. Honestly, I should remember where I was, but I ran into a Buffalo soldier. Now, where I was, this man was a hundred and something years old. Walking around, pulled me to the side and told me a story from Tulsa. One of his counterparts was a sniper. He stopped the people from running into the, the town. They had a sniper. No one wanted to take that first step to go into that area they were trying to infiltrate. He was sniping them out, right? So we did have offense. A lot of people don't think we had any offense. We had offense. So that guy would sit there for days and they could never penetrate. Well, how much time it was. The only reason they was able to take over that corridor of the town is that they sent one of us up to give him ammunition. And as soon as he turned his back, one of us took him out because they were so afraid of our opposition or what yes. they might do to their families. And that, in that particular section of protection fell no fortress is ever conquered from the outside in it's always the inside out inside out and we have to understand that if we're going to rebuild structure and where we are now to me it's not even about race it's about classism so many people so now we have to build within our communities because everybody's going to look the same we keep all this integrating right so we now we have to just put yourself around the right people who want to do your tribe, who want to yep. be a part of your tribe. So it gets deeper and deeper. That's a whole nother show, but this is a how-to for you to understand and to think about the things we're talking about to try to implement them yourself in your own way to bring the best version out of you, maximizing your life. I want to poll you, Dr. Oliver. I like to ask this question to friends of the show. And I want to know, and see what word you're going to what words you're going to use to so this one word in my mind that lately a lot of men have been saying this thing and proving me wrong 
But I hope all of you prove me wrong. But anyway, we like to have this conversation with those who are listening. There's no wrong answer. This is all subjugated to you. And I just want to see if you say the word that I'm thinking about. I want to know the top three things you want in a woman. Top three criteria. If you need to give five, that's fine. Some guys say they can't top three. But give me your top three. It is respect. Was it big? Um, it is, I would say, awareness, which is a different awareness to understand where I am. I would say the, the uh, support. Respect, awareness, and support. There is nothing wrong with any of those. In fact, respect is very important. You don't want your lady talking to you all crazy and then she out in the street respecting everybody else but you at all. That is exactly. some of the worst feelings in the world that any man can deal with. Right? So yeah. <laughs> intelligence. Intelligence. Guys, I always want to encourage guys to list intelligence there somewhere because it is not guaranteed. A lot of guys think it's going to come guaranteed, but it absolutely isn't. And those who listen, why would I say intelligence? Is that it's, there's so many different forms of intelligence. So it just, it doesn't have to be intelligence. Like she has to be brainiac, but she emotionally intelligence, awareness. Like you said, that is important. Awareness, emotional intelligence. So you said it in a form, but intelligence is very important because looks fade, situations come, love changes, love languages change, but yeah. the emotional intelligence or intelligence period to have dialect and communication can always be great. You know, and it's funny too, I'm glad you said that because when I look at the form of respect, it's not in the traditional way that I'm thinking about respect because a, a, a woman with wisdom. Mm, now you respect. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Wisdom, it, it's, it's like you can't respect me without having some kind of uh, fear is different than respect. Absolutely. You know, so people think like, oh man, you know, no, but aware and respect to me is an honor. It's almost like you, you're giving a reverence. You're, you're, you're becoming aware, educated around what my purpose is. Again, that awareness and that understanding. I can't come and talk to you any kind of way. We miss it, but at the end of the day, I don't, because I understand who you are. How much are you trying to understand communication? How much are you saying, you know what? I'm trying to understand my counterpart, my partner, my lady. How much are you trying to understand communication? How much are you investigating her emotions and feelings to make sure you stay on point? Man, uh, just, just from a standpoint a lot, you know, just from a standpoint of just really learning, uh, no matter how long you've been married, no matter how long you, you've been knowing the individual, you, you, it's always awareness changes. You, you, move, you move that target. It's a moving target. You know, where you were at, you know, 20 years, you're not there at, at 40. And at 40, you're not there at 60. You know, so it's one of those things where we chase moving targets. You know, we get fresh gear. We uh, I always talk about this. We get, you know, all this stuff, cars, we interview for credit. But we'll never take time. I created this game called The Interview. We'll never take time to really interview our mates and go through the history of talking. Mm. I got to ask the hard questions. You got to put and, me on to that game so I can play with my mate. Because listen, yes. I recently realized, I say, oh, this whole time her targets changed. I said, uh, who's your favorite Who's your favorite guy? Like, superstar, celebrity. Like, oh, 
Oh, it used to be Will Smith, hands down. Like back in the day when she was a kid, was Michael Jordan. She loved watching Michael Jordan play. And then it was Will Smith. But you know what? I asked her the other day, and it's not Will Smith anymore. Shouts out to Will. I love you, Will, but it ain't you no more. It's Michael B. Jordan. I said, what is going on? Uh, at, at least he's closer to looking like me a little bit. Skin tone. I was really offended when she went after Will Smith. Like, Will is beige. I'm dark. I got nothing here. <laughs> Sure, you like me, not with himself. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something that just to on a on a funny scale, on a jovial scale, the, the ball does move. And, mm -hmm. and it's okay that we ask questions, right? Yeah. To figure your wife out or your spouse or your or your partner out all over again. That's the game. Yeah. And it and it has to be done too, not in crisis. We're good with one to talk and, and argue and fuss. Oh, when when I'm hurt, you hurt, we mad. You know, found out something, you know. But from a standpoint of pre-crisis, when things are going good, when the honey's on the moon, and everything, let's talk about real issues. And if you get used to doing that, you know, um, you, you don't stay in a place of hiding. Uh, it's when you start feeling like, man, I can't say this, I don't know, whatever. You start to implode. But that interview is that INN too, bro. It's not the INT, the, the interrogating questions. It's like, let me look at you from the inside out. Let's flip this thing. INN. I hear you. I hear you dropping them jewels, Dr. Oliver. I hear you over there. <laughs> Let's talk about fatherhood and mental. Yeah. Now, I don't want to talk about the times where your kids are so beautiful and all this is great. I want to talk about the times where I love you, but I don't like you right now. Talk about yep. the patience you need to have. And I have a follow-up question at that, but talk about the patience you need to have as a mentor and a father. Man, I, 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 you know, I'm in this stage now. You know, once your kids, like all of my kids, they are 18 and up. So that time, you know, they're finding themselves. They, they One minute they want to be a teenager, one minute they want to be a grown person, you know, and when when you get, I found out when, you, when, when things, hurt you from them, your expectation. Because I'm learning now where it used to be I do, 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 and then you watch. Now the role is now you, now you do and I watch. And it's hard for a parent because I'm like, you're going down the wrong way. You're about to bust your head to the white beat. I need you to stop because the father will kick and tell you what to do. But no, you ain't gonna listen. So I'm learning that that part is wisdom is a, I gotta let them go through those changes and be there on the other side. I gotta be a coach now, right? And that's the hardest part. Like I really gotta be a coach. Like you come out, I can't fight you. I can't fight the battle. I gotta be in the corner like Rocky's old manager. Like, come on, stick and move. Even though he don't want to hear me, he's still trying. Remember that that show when he got a new trainer? Mm. He got something, something like, I'm, I'm gonna go get me a new trainer and he had to realize at fatherhood, somewhere down that line, your children are going to be like, man, uh, dad just talking. You still have to cover them, though. That's the hardest part. You still have to be like, okay, I'm going to be the coach. I'm like, and I might be in the corner like, oh, you, you know, but I'm going to be there because I know he's going he's gonna to need to put that ice pack on his head when he comes through. I got a deep question for you. You're the first person I'm asking this question because it came up the other day and when I was watching TV. And I, and I kind of resonated with it. No matter of fact, it came up in a clubhouse conversation. We were talking about corporal punishment. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think it's healthy for your kids to fear you in some kind of way? 
I think, yeah, I think fear fear is a good emotion. Um, there are some things that I'm still living here today because I have fear. It was a good emotion. I was scared to go to that party. And I'm glad I listened to that fear. Because when that party, they started shooting, it was several times I ignored the fear and I went. And each time, my mom was one of those spiritual ladies that she would tell you like, don't go over here. It's like she was prophetic. Like she just knew. Mm. And I would go to these parties. And as soon as I go to these parties, they would be shooting. I'm sitting there in fear. Like I know my mom, Lord, if you get me out of this, I ain't going to another party. But then it started to be my intuition started to kick in. So I think fear is a good thing. Each time I get up, there's an anxiety or a level of fear when I speak. I, I, I embrace that fear and I ride. So I think that fear going back to reverence and respect, it, it should be a reverence. Um, it should be, you know, hey, I ain't gonna talk to my, my parents any kind of way. Why? Because if you don't have it in your house, you sure gonna have it in the street when they throw you on the ground. Or if you don't, what end up happening? And I think that's mm. a lot of times with our young black men, we don't have to, we don't know how to use our intellect. We didn't fear the right people. Right. You should fear being broke. You should, it should make you grind. You should fear like, oh man, I'm not gonna put my hands on her. No, cause I know a whole tribe coming. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? You should fear, man, I ain't gonna take that lady's purse. I ain't gonna do no time. You should fear. So we've been told not to fear so much, but your parents should be a fear of respect, not a, uh, you know, unhealthy fear, you know, but a fear of reverence. I would say that that should be a reverence because my mom would say it all the time. If you don't respect me in the house, somebody out here is going to make you respect me. Mm. Or you're going to be in a situation. I've talked to many men who, like I told you my job, who were incarcerated, who came with this, ain't afraid of nobody. They came out 20 years later, man, forget all that. If you feel fear, that's a good thing. Don't go to, don't go to that, you know. So I think it's a balance of fear and abuse. It's a different type of way, you know. If you can't talk to your mom, you intimidate, intimidate your dad to ask them for things. Um, conversation shouldn't be fearful. Communication shouldn't be fearful. Mm-hmm. You disagree with me shouldn't be fearful. You should be able to say, "Hey, I don't agree with that," and I'm gonna tell you, "Hey, I'm your parent." Yeah, da da da. This is what's gonna go on, but. I think that we don't have enough of that anymore. You know, we don't have enough of that reverence and respect. So when I look at that fear, that respect, and you don't have to fear me, but respect me. And I think that that is a conversation of how even men that we process. You have a son, right? You have a son? Yes. I was about to give you a story about that. And I ain't going to interrupt your thunder on the story, but I know I had a son. Like, I would tell him, don't touch it because it's hot. He's not going to listen until he gets burnt. It's something in our innate ability as men, young men, that we're gonna still go over there. We're gonna touch that stove. And then we're gonna come back and say it's hot. I think what I did with my son, he's only three, but every time I told him something, I gave him proof of it. He has a lot of hair on his head. So he doesn't like nobody messing with his hair. He just wants his hair to grow and grow and grow. But with a lot of hair comes with dirt, like little carpet, whatever. So I said to him, man, there's carpet in your hair. Let me pull it out. No, I don't want to touch my hair. Well, let me pull it out. And I would show him there was carpet in his hair. So now he started to believe and trust me. So when he wants to come in the kitchen and cook, I would say, hey, the stove is hot. You don't want to touch that. Now he believes me. 
But in regards how I talked to him, this is what I had to recognize. And it took me, I'm not going to sit here and lie. It took me one or two times to recognize. I would say, hey, son, it's time for us to go. Go to your mother or come in the room so we can get dressed. And he may be watching TV or playing video games. He would say, hold on, daddy. I want to finish watching this or I'm doing this right now. Can we go later? As an adult, you you don't first realize as a, I'm a new parent, so I don't realize, man, come on. Don't tell me wait or tell me no. Who do you think you are? You do what I tell you to do. I'm wrong. I taught him the art of communication to speak to me how he's feeling and what he is doing. It took me one or two times to realize me being belligerent, like, yo, get up now. And being like very forceful, like, let's go. And he started crying, but then I didn't speak to him about why he was getting up. I didn't speak to him and give him the same respect he just gave me and telling me why he didn't want to get up. Mm-hmm. I've been, when I started to set, tell him, you know, we have to go because we need to go to the store, get some groceries for the week. So we have to do these things and then we can come back and play. You know what he said? Okay, it's time to go to the store because now we have a mission. Yeah. But, and he was able to, then he was able to be okay with himself missing what he enjoyed at the moment because he realized the importance. So any man out there listening, if you're going to speak to your son as he's an adult and then when he makes an adult decision, no matter the age, communication and coming back and swallowing your intuition of being the authority figure is the best way to accommodate that and build trust within your relationship. Yeah, I think that's that's that, man. That's, that's good stuff because I think that that's, that's the difference, you know, that uh, a lot of men have had to implode and it comes out. You can only put some some more stuff inside. It's gonna come out somewhere, and you want to be able to say, "Hey, this is this is um, a free atmosphere." Yeah, and I had to recognize it because I was taught, "Hey, man, if you don't listen to me now, when I tell you you're gonna do what I tell you to do, it that's wrong." Mm-hmm. Not if you're trying to build communication with somebody. They're not gonna to talk to you after a while. After a while, I was like, "They're gonna do whatever you say, but they're not gonna to come to you when it's time to talk." Mm-hmm. And then along, I'm playing the long game right now, and I just. I appreciate this conversation we're having, man. This is great stuff. Hope everyone is listening out there, is learning from stuff, Dr. Oliver and myself as well. And we're growing in this situation here. We talk about leaving a legacy, but we mostly ignore major steps. Do you have a will? Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Talk to me about why do you think we run from the conversation of having a will and why is it best that we have one, even if we think we have nothing to offer? I think we feel like going back before that, it's legacy. Most of us don't come from legacy. We come from legacy, but we haven't seen it. We come from long lines of legacy, uh, hundreds and hundreds of centuries of legacy, which is in our veins, in our creativity, in our DNA. Um, But we don't have a kingdom mindset. We don't have kings and queens in our culture here from a standpoint of how we think. Mm -hmm. We think from a Western theocracy. Right, we, we think from that, oh, president, well, where we come from is kings and queens. There's a kingdom, there's a legacy, there's, le- there's levels, right? And there's equal wealth and certainly a part of that. But that's another whole story. But I think people feel like they don't have anything, number one. And also people feel like they have time. One of the key things is, man, I'm 20 years old. I got time, I'm 30 years old. I got time, you say, I'm 50 years old. I got time, you're 60 years old. And then what happens, you run out of time. And we don't look at investments. We don't look at, you know, the culture, like, I don't want to leave anything. I've had people in my family take stuff from the next generation and die. 
why would you take stuff from the next and don't give it to them? These are people that didn't have kids. You you all have kids, but you still would rather die with it than to have a will to have somewhere else to, to keep it in the family, to keep generation because of the poverty mindset. Because at the end of the day, we 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 prepare to live. I, I'm you laughing know? because I had my dad on the show. Interviewed my dad on this platform. And he's yeah. such an old school cat. His answers were very bare and, and none, right? Because that's the generation he comes from. They don't speak a lot. So I, right. said, I said, do you have a will? He goes, no. Now he's 70 something years old. And I go, why not? I still got time. That was, his, that was it. And I'm like, man, you're 70 something years old. I'm not wishing anything on you, but are you going to have a will? No, nah, not right now. That was it. <laughs> It just, I laugh because when you say I got time, it just brought my mind back to that moment. I'm like, this guy is hilarious. He's hilarious. I love him. He's hilarious. So I encourage you out there to get a will. And also, I like to say this a lot. Cam Wesley Sr., a friend to the show, spoke about our cultural counterparts looking as deaf as an investment. What they yes. do is the siblings and everything like that, they take out insurance policies on the grandparents and on the parents. And we're not talking about low policies. We're talking about 500000 $300,000 insurance policies will probably run you $200 a month. And a lot of people don't have an extra $200 a month. We understand that. But if you can find a way to take out an insurance policy, we won't have to worry about us culturally doing GoFundMes as much. We don't have to worry about where the, who's going to pay these medical bills and hospital bills because, or we can continue the lineage. And when that person passes away, the investment of their time they spent here being away from the families that works and stuff. Now you can take that money and build a whole nother legacy. So I like to put that information out there and also the information about payable upon death at the bank where you can skip probate court. There's a paper called PODs at the bank. Go down there and fill out a POD. So in case someone dies in your household, like a family member, a guardian or a parent, you then as the child now can take the money and still pay the bills out of the bank without any probate court or anything because payable upon death is one of the forms. It's many ways that we can obtain wealth. We had a, a friend to the show, Mr. Michael. He talked about how life insurance policies are only get awarding certain people $10,000 and they've been paying $100 or $5 for 30 years and they only get $10,000. And that's not even enough to cover anything but the funeral home expenses. So we have to start educating ourselves on the investment of death, getting a will and not leaving a bill. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, each day we live in, we are dying. Mm. From the time you got smacked on the behind, the reality is we can get it twisted and we can get it demented in our head that we have this time. But the dial is from the time you take and they pick you in the behind and you start crying, the dial is turned. Right? And I think that that whole part of understanding that, and like I said, you know, our, 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 our counterparts have always understood that. You know, instead of leaving bills, that's another thing, leave real estate leave land you know a lot of people want to do I, I don't know why I'm going I'm doing the audible on the other side but standpoint, a lot of times people are saying hey and I got friends and everybody buying real estate that's good but if you don't own the land and you just own the houses on the land what happens the government comes in and says hey you need to sell this land to us because we're about to put a highway through here I'm going to give you money and I don't mind giving you money they'll triple double whatever at the end of the day and we're like oh yes I'll take this money in. They gave me three times, whatever. But you're not saying it. They give you three times. What if you owned the land? 
and the land is then transferable because then you can then go to developers and then develop on the land. Now you, hey, and it's a myth that I really own my land. I own my house and the land. No, you don't. You own the building. Most people own the building. If you ain't got a deed to the land and then a deed to your house, that's another whole story. But some people are like, I own my house. You own your house. But, but you'll really see who owns it when they come in and have to put some highway to it. No, I, I fully accept this audible. Let's talk about this real quick. We got a few minutes to dive into it. My mother-in-law, God rest her soul. She acquired about six acres of land, I believe, in Somerville, South Carolina. Mm, Somerville, yeah. Right. She sold most of the land, and now a church has that land, and they're building developing. She's since passed on, and even my, my stepfather has land in Barbados that mm-hmm. I have to even see because he passed away, and his will is missing, right? It's a lot. It's a lot to think about, but with land... So many of us take the money and think about paying bills versus us securing the land. I will tell a story that my dad hates to tell, right? And I found this out by interviewing my father. Like I said, interview your parents. I am half Indian. I am from a reservation on Long Island. Montauk's, Shinnecock, whatever you want to call it, right? No disrespect to them, of course. I, I know my history, but it's whatever you, how you want to say it. Montauk Indians. And that land that they live off of is, uh, what is it? What is the nice place that everybody likes to vacation in Long Island? Um, uh, Hamptons. Ah. Ah, the Hamptons. Now you hear about the Hamptons, all the rich people go there. That was once a reservation for Indians. My dad owned several acres of land there. My grandfather and my dad did not get along. Sort of like your relationship. My grandfather died and left the land to my dad. My dad wanted nothing to do with his father. He let that land go and didn't pay the taxes. And we're talking about 30, 40 years ago. So the taxes was not a lot, right? My mother tried to plead with him. No, you don't let this land go. I hate my father. Don't want nothing to do with him. To this day, my dad would tell me he would cry because of the decision. Because that what he knows now that was a place for us to come bring our his our, his grandchildren. That was a place for us to be living right now. And we're not saying, and we're talking about the Hamptons is but so big, ladies and gentlemen. My dad had several acres of land on the Hamptons. And it's all gone. So everyone who's listening, who has land, do your best to secure it. Just like I saw, hopefully next guest on the show, Mr. Jay Morrison, who is a real estate land developer. He posted a video about the bank coming and tearing this man's house down who owned his home for 20 years. And because of COVID, he went four months without payments. And they sent a bulldozer to shove every his whole entire house up with all his belongings in it. The bank just sent them over. was like, yo, we need this land. He's like, give, give me some more months. They gonna give him four months. He didn't pay, and they just totaled his house in front of him while he cried on the floor. This was a white man they did this to. It doesn't change anything about the color of your skin, but this was just messed up. For those who thinking, you know, just happens to black people, it doesn't. It happens to a lot of people, it's not reported, right? 
And I just want to encourage you all that if he had owned the land, that would have been a different story. Like you yeah. said, thanks. That's that's why I said he caused an audible in my head. So all that I just said, yo, make sure you protect the land that you own because God is not making anymore. <laughs> that's powerful. Unless the tectonic plate shift and all this extra stuff, and then we ain't got no people like anyway. It would just be get in where you fit in. But <laughs> right. I want to put you back in the husband's seat for one second. And once again, this answer right here is subjected to you. You don't have the answer. I mean, you have to answer this question, but you have to give a reason why you chose what side you get. It's never going to be wrong because this is how you feel. Are you ready? This is a good one. I like it. I like asking this question. As a husband, would uh-huh. you rather have a great woman or a great wife? Uh, I, I, I definitely would go with the great wife. Explain, sir. A wife is a maturation of a full capacity of a woman. A woman can give a child, a woman can cook a meal, a woman can be nurturing, but a wife comes not just from the natural aspects of rearing children and being a domesticator in the house, whatever the roles may be. A wife brings cultivation. She'll take your whatever you give her, even from the look, a man can have sex with a woman. Her body, by nature, will reproduce that seed, carry nine months. Give you a baby. Give you a baby. But she may not be a mother. A wife bears that child, does whatever, and be a mother. Not only to your kids, but a mother to the community. She'll cultivate, you'll come in with an idea. She'll hang drapes. You have a you may have a one-bedroom by the time she finished. You're like, oh man, it's a penthouse in here. It's a whole character. It goes about the awareness. It goes about those things that have been cultivated. Since I've been married, there's been things that have been cultivated in my life since I've met my wife. The things that have happened. So that's why I look at the cultivating and I always saying, hey, what is she doing in your garden, Adam? Is she cultivating your garden? What is she doing in your garden, Adam? I get it. I get it. That's a great answer. So you, you choose a great wife. There's nothing wrong. I will never push back on anybody's answer, but I will encourage you to always listen to the other gentleman's answer on that question to get your tool belt sharpened or add or take away some things that you might say that might have developed you, humbled you, or made you better. So Dr. Alba, I thank you for your answer. Great wife it is. Validation from your partner. It's like you win a championship when you meet the right woman. But Dr. Oliver, Dr. Oliver T. Reed, I ask you this question. Do you defend the title? And what I mean by that is, there's no longer your representative hanging out. I'm talking about the guy that needs to be upright, doing some push-ups, looking good, making her feel like she has the champion. When she walks out the door, any man whistles at her, uh-uh, I got Dr. Oliver T. Don't you dare holler at me. Are you defending the title? Man, there's the days I miss it. You know what I mean? I mean, to be, be transparent, you want to defend that title, but there's been some days I missed it, you know? And I want to be better. Going back to that, I want to be better. Moving targets, you know? Um, I would say that there's there's seasons, man, and people don't want to be real. But I think that you definitely want to 
always defend that title, make sure she's out there doing whatever. But then you have to do that gut check, like, man, hey, I can't get comfortable. You know, um, you know, and the, the biggest thing is I'm like, man, the competition is within myself. You know, from a standpoint like, hey, man, because you know when you ain't, you know, brothers, you know when you ain't in your A game and you know when you're not doing X, Y, and Z and you know what's going on, you know. And so that, that's the thing, man. I want to up my game. I want to well, do that. You know, Audible, a lot of, I'm only going to speak for men. Now, women, this may hold true for you also. But a lot of men are afraid to be on the A game because they feel they might outgrow the person they with. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like they settle in to a C plus because they know mm-hmm. that's where she is. Mm-hmm. And then they 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 don't want to break hearts because they by that time they have a family they're running the whole family with a C plus. Mm-hmm. But if they go to A, it might mean that a. that A might upgrade him to something a whole nother situation. Yes, come. The only title I put on women that they incubate. Yep. I don't think that they should cook, clean, or anything. Whatever that woman is and how her perspectives are, I respect it, right? And we'll all develop together if you decide to run together in partnership. The only thing I know that women do is they take whatever you give them and multiply it back. Yes. That is a fact. So I don't fact. put anything else on them besides that. I will say this. Sometimes some men are cutting themselves small yep. so they can stay with the woman they love. Yep. I, I won't speak for women, but I'm a, I'm a man and I understand that some men aim low on purpose to on not purpose. have accountability of how much, how hard it is to stay, sustain the A plus. And yeah. they, they, they know they would outgrow certain people in situations and they found comfort in it. Yeah. I think too, you know, a lot of people marry them now rather than marrying them now and later. Because the candy we ate here come now and later. So the, you're now going back for that moon target. You, when you first got married, you know, or you, you chose to get married because you just wanted to have her now, you you aim low. But then when you became aware of yourself, that person may not have been developed or whatever it is, going back to sex and education of sex, because that's another whole talk about marriage because you have good sex that'll make you compatible for marriage. And, and so that's another whole ball game with sex education. And some people feel like, oh, you had the sex. And now you need to get married. And and also, oh, you guys got a baby together. Now you got to get married. So a lot of people are married because of the sex. And so now we got to stay together. But there was no commitment. There was no whatever. Uh, going back to man, you know, I was talking one time. And recently me and my wife was talking about um, prearranged marriage. Mm-hmm. And how even when people, the marriages were prearranged, people still stayed together because there was no other option. But what people don't understand is, there was wisdom and foresight of their families that looked and said, oh, these are the characteristics that we're going to do. And, and But a lot of times they were groomed for children to be together, right? The way that my family is working, our way we're thinking. Now you don't have that. You just have, I met her on Facebook, I met her on Instagram, I met her on Tinder, I saw a profile, we get together. But the dynamics, going back to the whole talk about the game or whatever, words what does family mean to that person what does sex mean to this person so a lot of times people are now entangled to a marriage they marry somebody now that ain't compatible with that later now you stuck like you aim low then i'm, I'm gonna just be comfortable and i'm just gonna be together absolutely sir i appreciate those kind words there's so much stuff that we could dive into in that diaspora but yes now and later is very important and I think that's something we also need to teach in our community, the fact that people change and you always have to be ready for that 
they're changing that growth. And my hat, ter- my hat, somewhat is taken off to the person who actually decides decides to lead that relationship to better themselves, who doesn't settle for just being a C plus. Now, there's a lot of hurt people inside of your decision, but it's, it takes a certain strength to do that, to care, to have that type of self love. We always talk about self love. When self love is ignor- enormous, a lot of people get hurt around you. Yeah, self love. So. It's a lot of sacrificing that has been done. I can't. Oh, but there's a whole. That's a whole nother ball game. But hopefully, somebody specialized in talking about that, so as man can get that education for real, for real. But just, just want to bring it to y'all attention. I came up with something called operating at 100. And what I mean by that is, I took five categories: purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. I gave them 20% each, all adding up to 100. I take a daily average and give myself a sum average at the end of the week to see how much of 100% I've been operating out of. Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. So I ask you, Dr. Oliver T. Reed, within the last 24 hours, how much of purpose, meaning you've been working in your purpose, doing the things you need, the calling in your life, health meaning eating right, Working out, exercising, meditating, confidence means you're doing without any fear, any intimidation, any insecurities. Money, you made a little money, saved a little money, invested a little money, gave to a charity, and knowledge you took in some new information. How much of 100% have you been operating out of in the last 24 hours? I'll say in the last 24 hours, I've probably been in the 85%. What are you missing, sir? Man, I think uh, one of the things that I've probably been missing is I've been wanting to get to work out and I've been, you know, teetering with it. I was doing really good with the trainer. Then it's kind of snowed up on me. So I, I didn't go out. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go work out today. Well, yesterday I didn't do it. So I had to take some points off from that. You know, there's this gospel song called Cycles. I can't remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jonathan McReynolds. Jonathan McReynolds. And he said that the devil studies you just as much as God does. And he knows how to get you different ways than when he came back. And I shout shout out Jonathan McReynolds because he's right, right? The moment you start getting in training and working out, snow came. And now you have to change your whole mentality, how you approach, how you committed yourself to losing weight. For me, I committed myself. I love to play sports. I love to swim. COVID came. I have to change my entire lifestyle and what I committed to my brain to work out. That is very difficult. But what you committed yourself to. So I just want to implore everybody that it, there's some changes need to be made and that the devil is studying your moves. And each time will be a new adventure that you did not see coming. Yeah. But be happy and enjoy it because when you defeat it, he can't use it twice. He can't use it. Once you, once you go through and kill that giant. Yeah, he can't yeah. use it again. And then you can also help people slay their giants. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. You are now part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. Now, before you go, we love to get referrals for the show. Is there any other man you would like to come on this show, drop these gems and answer these questions in manhood? Man, it's uh, definitely, I, I have to tag my brother, Kelly Cole. Uh, Kelly, Kelly Cole. All right, cool, man. We love to have Kelly Cole on the show. Now, Dr. T. Oliver, you're author of a 40-something books. You got a lot of information. Please let the people know where we can find you, support what you're doing, buy a book or two, find us some information, and help us 
help you and you <laughs> every other way we can. Yeah, man. Thank you again, man. This was really a dope show, man. You were great. Thank you, King, for having me on, bro. And uh, you can find me, Fuller Brennan, at Dr. Oliver T. Reed. Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Dr. Oliver T. Reed. You can Google me. Go to www.milkwritingsystem.com. That's my four-step process. I'm telling you to get your book fast in under 30 days. It's done. Guaranteed if you follow those steps. And so it'll lead all the way in that area. Facebook, Dr. Oliver T. Reed. Put in Dr. Oliver T. Reed. You should be able to find me. Dr. Oliver T. Reed, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being responsive, uh, responding to my calling for you to come on the show. And I will be checking out your four-step process because I'm going to be writing my first book this year as well. And I want to thank you for your insights and information. For those listening, you can reach me at solutionsformen at gmail.com to be a guest on the show. Also at Sheen One on all platforms. Let's continue this conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, in the street if you see me. We end today's show with a quote from Dr. Miles Monroe. True success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It's not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is what you could have done compared to what you could have done. In other words, living to the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your true standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and purpose in pursuit of personal excellence. Question of the day. Question of your life. Are you maximizing your life? Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Solutions. Thank you.